Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. In my neighborhood, uh, in the summertime, we played late into the night. One of our favorite games was Kick the Can. Anybody know what Kick the Can is? It's like, kind of feels like an old-timer game now. Uh, Kick the Can was uh, somebody sets uh, like a coffee can or a tin can up in front of their house, right in front, and then everybody gets together and there's one person who's guarding the can. Everybody else scatters into the darkness and you walk around the neighborhood and you sneak around in neighbors' bushes and the goal is to, without being noticed, run up and kick the can. And if you get noticed, you go to prison and then somebody kicks it and you all run free. I loved it. Uh, I had this way of like walking through my backyard, through the neighbor's yard, um, around three blocks and it would take me like a half hour, a half mile away, before I came in like the stealth kill, hid in the bushes across the street that no one drove on, and then just when the time was right, like came and attacked the can, and they're like, we've, been, we've had three rounds so far, but way to go. Um, <laughs> good job. And I, I was like, all right, I feel good about it. Um, that was my crew growing up. That, that was the group that I grew up with. That I grew up with. We rode big wheels, and we felt like um, powerful riding big wheels around uh, the sidewalks. We walked to school together. We walked home from school. We'd come into our, each other's houses, and we'd watch Double Dare um, every day and take the physical challenge. And I mean, it was just it was beautiful growing up. I also had a really great college experience where um, I met friends in college that became friends that I had never known I could have before. There was a certain security as a kid, but then in college there was a depth that came with it. And I was, I was so fortunate. My roommate and I clicked. We were strangers, and we got put together, and we roomed together our entire college career unless we were out on an internship or both like uh, doing the RA thing. And we ran together and we had, we had deep, deep friendships and a community. And I, let, I met Leslie in that community. And there was a, a depth and a camaraderie that still exists to this day, even with limited contact. When we jumped into ministry, Leslie and I, uh, uh, we started ministry right in our college town. So we already had sort of a social foundation and we jumped into Good Shepherd Church in Huntington, Indiana, and we formed relationships there and a community there that gave us such a good start in ministry and in our marriage that we felt at home. And then when we left there and we went to community church in Fond du Lac, which was kind of like a return for me, uh, the childhood church where I had grown up, we spent 12 years there and we ran with people and with a community. And there was... Um, there was a depth there that was such a gift. Who did you run with? When you were a kid and you had relationships and you were free, as you grew up, lots of us have people that we ran with that um, sometimes were healthy for us, other times were not. Sometimes when we think about who we ran with, like there's a spike of pain you know, some people have, you know, we're, we're not with them anymore, and that's painful. Um, and the pain of life that comes and meets us in that. 
I want you to think, though, about um, who God has blessed you with along the way and in the journey. As we wrap up Colossians today, we're going to take the final, uh, kind of most of the final chapter, chapter 4 in Colossians, as Paul wraps up his letter and he talks about his crew. He talks about the people that he is running with and the people that um, have made an impact in his life. And as we jump into that, I just, I want to take a moment to say, I love you guys. I, I love this church, this community. We are, um, we fail all over the place, uh, right? We're so far from perfect. We have so much more room to grow. But I love this community. I love um, the way that we can reach for Jesus together. I love the way that you have welcomed us. I love watching relationships, watching you guys uh, in friendships and growing and reaching out to each other. And, and I'm so, so, so thankful to be part of us. Um, I resonate with Paul as he finishes up now in Colossians to say, uh, we, we've got something good here. So uh, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the concluding verses of Colossians. Father, we thank you for the community that you invite us into. We thank you for the people that you have uh, put in our path that we've been able to run with. Father, we grieve the loss of some of those relationships. And we are thankful for the depth um, that you have provided along the way. Today, as we dig into Paul, as we get into his conclusion of his letter uh, to the church at Colossae, we pray that you'd show us that these are These are um, bigger than names on a page that don't mean anything to us. This is Paul's community. And would you teach us even in this uh, what it is to follow you and what it is to know who you are and know who who you've made us to be. Open our eyes and humble our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul... um, Paul finishes his letter by going through kind of a list. And if you read this, uh, if you're not digging into it, you're likely going to kind of just skip over, like, I don't know I don't know who this guy is. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It means nothing to me. And that's why it's really good once in a while to just be able to pause and say, wait, who is this guy? What is Paul writing about? What I want to do today is I want to read through this. I want to talk about the who that Paul is uh, addressing, or that, that he's identifying, and then I want to pick out three names, because I think there's a common thread in these three names in Paul's list, and how we can relate to that, and then I want to look at his final greeting, like the last, the last thing that he has to say to the Colossians, um, and I think there's a lot, a lot to be had in there. So, we're going to start in Colossians Verse uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. 
and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I want to do kind of a a rifling through these names that Paul uh, runs through and then focus on three of them that I think tie together. Paul starts uh, by saying Tychicus. Tychicus is, um, he's been involved, he's a beloved brother, he's a faithful minister and fellow servant. Tychicus is the man that Paul entrusts to bring this letter from Paul in prison to the church at Colossae. And he says, Tychicus is coming, and he has the highest praise that somebody can give. A beloved brother, faithful in ministry. This is a man who is running, running with Paul in every sense of the word. And so he sends Tychicus to deliver the letter, and he says, Onesimus is coming with him. And Do you remember Onesimus? Onesimus was the runaway slave, right? The book of Philemon is dedicated to the relationship between Paul and Onesimus and sending him back to Philemon to say, Philemon, this guy is a brother in Christ now. And I want you to see him not as a slave. I want you to see him as the equal that he is. And I want you to, I want you to uh, forgive any debts that he has. I want you to set him free so that he can continue to join me in ministry. And Paul doesn't identify Onesimus as a slave, right? How does he identify Onesimus? He's a beloved brother, and he's one of you. And so there's, there's something really powerful going on in the way that Paul sees Onesimus and in the way he communicates. Paul is very intentionally saying, we are in this together. We're equal together. Tychicus and Onesimus are coming, and they're faithful brothers. Aristarchus, Paul identifies as a fellow prisoner, This could be a guy who is in chains with Paul, uh, sitting next to Paul. Or it could be a guy who, though he's not in prison, though he's not in chains, has been at Paul's side, is visiting him regularly, is tending to Paul, is checking on Paul. Paul is basically saying, uh, whether he's in prison or he's just so committed to me, it's like he is a prisoner in chains with me. And he's thankful for him. And Aristarchus has a word of greeting. Paul mentions Mark. Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. 
Um, and it's, it's like there's some background going on because he has this parenthetical reference like, wait, wait, you've had instructions on Mark. If he comes to you, and there might be some doubt there, right? If he comes to you, greet him, welcome him, bring him in. And there's something that we'll get to in a little bit uh, to say there's more going on here than we would just uh, read over naturally. Jesus, who's called Justice, these are uh, Jewish, now believers. And so Paul grew up Jewish. Paul rose through the Jewish ranks, was a leader among the Jews, and then met Jesus. And so he's got a common background with these guys. Um, and he says, uh, these are the guys who have been with me from that group, and they have, they have been a comfort to me. He talks about Epaphras, who's one of you, and how he greets, how he's been struggling for them, how he's been praying for them. And there's a community that is being fostered to say, all of these guys have a different role, but we're all working together, and we're, they're all working on your behalf. He says, I bear witness that uh, he has worked hard for you, and those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. These are neighboring cities. And Paul mentions this. After you've read this letter, after you've read this letter, I want you to give it to Laodicea. And a, a mystery letter was sent to Laodicea that we don't have today. But Paul says, after you have read this and given it to them, grab the letter that I wrote them so that you can uh, grow and read that as well. And then he talks about, he talks about Demas. And he doesn't have anything to say. He says, Luke, Luke, the beloved doctor, is here, and Demas. Like, Luke greets you, as does Demas. And that's all he's got to say about Demas. And then these are not people that are with him, but Paul has greetings for people who are back at Colossae. He said, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, this neighboring town, and to Nympha, uh, and the church in her house. So Nympha is... Uh, either, likely, either a widow or an unmarried woman, and she's, um, she's welcoming the church in her home, practicing hospitality, opening up to them. This is uh, a woman who Paul raises the value of to say our culture doesn't esteem women that highly, and Paul says uh, Nympha is a fellow sister in Christ, and she's important in the ministry. And, and she's important enough for me to identify here and say, I want, I want you to greet her for me. And then uh, he mentions Archippus. And just the, if you see him, tell my boy Archippus, get it done. See it to, see it to the finish. Fulfill the ministry that God gave you. So that's just kind of a quick rifling through as Paul describes it. What I want to do is I want to pick out three names from that list that have a common connection. And the common connection uh, is failure. So we're going to talk about Mark or John Mark or John. He goes by all three of those names at different times. And we're going to talk about Demas. And then we're going to talk about Archippus. Okay? So John Mark, John Mark actually shows up if you don't know his story, and that's why I say there's a lot of backstory going on. If you don't know John Mark's story, I want to introduce you to him today. He shows up for the first time in Acts 12, 12. Can we throw that up? 
Peter has just been in prison um, and bad stuff was coming and God broke him out. Like an angel arrived, Peter's chains fell off, the door opened without anybody being there and Peter walked out into the night and then says when he realized this, he went, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and praying. So this is the first time that John Mark shows up in the Bible. Um, he's, a, he's a cousin here. He's, a, he's got a relationship with Peter, and he shows up. We'll go to the next verse later on in Acts 12, in verse 25. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas was like a mentor to Saul who became Paul, right? And they were, they were working together. They were out together. And they came back, and Barnabas brings with them uh, John Mark, who's a cousin. And he says, we're going we're gonna to do ministry together. So now John Mark is actually running with Paul, Right? They're doing ministry together. John Mark is in the company of Paul. If you jump ahead um, to chapter 13, starting in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, this is Paul and Barnabas, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So this is the same guy, John or John Mark or Mark. He's with them. He's assisting. He's coming along in the ministry. But then something happens in, verse, uh, in uh, chapter 13, verse 13. It says this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And we're not, we're not given a whole lot of details about what's going on there. But it's significant. John, John Mark has been traveling. He has been assisting. And then for some reason, he leaves. He's done. And he goes back to Jerusalem. Paul doesn't take this lightly. There's something about this that Paul feels abandoned by. He feels like uh, John Mark is a deserter. Feels like he gave up. Feels like he quit. And he doesn't respect that. And later on... Later on, this reemerges in Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. This is Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul doesn't take this break lightly, right? And he, he holds on to this with such depth, like desertion has no place in Paul's ministry, that when they are looking at another missionary journey, when they're getting ready to do ministry again, and Barnabas says, hey, I want to give John Mark another chance. I want him to come. Paul says, no. Like so sharply, it's not like, I don't really feel it, but I'll trust you. Is no, no, I will not be a part of that. And they split. 
And the split actually ends up for good. Like they go in two different directions and the churches are strengthened and ministry happens in two different ways. So this wasn't like, you know, like ministry didn't end there. But certainly there was a broken relationship, right? Mark had failed. And Paul was calling it. Paul was not just looking in the other direction. But here, here at the end of Colossians, later in the game, in chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul identifies John Mark, who somehow is with him again. Something happened. And I think, I think if we read uh, kind of between the lines, something changed Mark. Something changed Mark, and he had to wrestle with his own stuff. This is the Mark that ends up writing the Gospel of Mark, right? The Gospel of Jesus according to Mark, that he would give his perspective. And so I would say, my hunch is Mark did some growing up. Mark did some growing up. And Mark, Mark was doing the reflection. Mark was doing the study. Mark writes what a lot of people think are the first gospel to be written down, off of whom then Matthew took notes and wrote his, and Luke took notes, used that as a study resource to like kind of work together as they're, they're writing his. Mark, Mark writes his gospel, and he and Paul are reunited at some point. And there's forgiveness offered, and there's reconciliation. And now these two are together. And Paul, if we look into 2 Timothy 4, Paul, at the end of his ministry, is, uh, has good things to say about this guy. Paul's at the end of his ministry, and he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. He's making a plea. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Now that it's separated again, and instead of feeling abandoned, Paul desires Mark's presence. There's one guy that Paul asks for. He says, get Mark. Please get him. I've been deserted by others. Others have left. I want Mark by my side. There's forgiveness, and there's reconciliation. Let's skip forward in the list. We mentioned Demas, right, in Colossians 4, um, in verse 14 there. Like, Paul has so little to be said. For everybody, he gives a little bit of background. He's a, he's a faithful brother. He's a fellow servant. He's one of you. He's one of us. He's traveling with me. He's been a comfort. Uh, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greeting, and so does Demas. That's all he's got. Like, oh man, I made the book. And not much more. It's like Mike Wazowski, right? When he makes the cover and like, yeah, I made it. And he's covered by the label. Not much to be said there. 
And we just read, we just read maybe some of what was starting to happen. Where later on in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says, I want you to go get Mark and bring him to me. Did you guys catch the reference to Demas in there? What happened to Demas? He deserted. In 2 Timothy 4, 9, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So you got two guys here in John Mark and in Demas, both of whom, I think it's fair to say, abandoned Paul at one point in their life. Both of them, they've got similar stories up to a point. They're working with Paul. They're running with Paul. They're in community with Paul. And then they kind of abandon. They go a different way. And Paul, I think, is identifying Demas. He doesn't have a whole lot to say, but the trajectory, he might be noticing something is set. And later on, we don't know the end of the story for Demas, but at the end of Paul's life and ministry, Demas, he doesn't have good things to say. He says, Demas is in love with this world. Being in love with this world does not put you in a good position to do ministry. When you love this world, when this world is what you crave, when this world is what you chase after, you're not going to be very useful for ministry. And desertion may follow. But Mark had, Mark had sort of the same thing going on. And yet something changed, I think, in Mark's heart so that he came back around. Something changed and he grew up and... Uh, he met with forgiveness, and he met with he was met with reconciliation, and they have a nude relationship. So that Paul wants Mark, and he he's kind of repelled by Demas. Now Paul and Peter are two giants um, after Jesus leaves. Right? Peter focuses on the church in Jerusalem, and Paul goes out. Paul's the the first best missionary. Right? Paul and Peter, I think, talked. I think they had words with each other. I think they, they talked because Peter got to walk with Jesus when Jesus was alive in this life on this earth. Paul had this supernatural uh, meeting with Jesus after Jesus had ascended, and he like struck, struck Saul down and opened his eyes, and he became Paul. But Peter got to walk with the man. Peter got, Peter got to be with Jesus. And I can imagine Paul saying to Peter, I want you to tell me what Jesus was like. I want you to tell me the stories. I want you to fill me in on the stuff that I missed, that I regret missing, but man, fill me in. And, and the same kind of stuff like with John Mark here in Demas, I feel like Peter could probably let Paul know some of the ways that Jesus dealt with people who failed him. So... In my mind, there's like this mirror relationship between John Mark and Demas and Peter and Judas. So you know Peter, if you know the New Testament, Peter's this guy who like will like take five steps forward and four steps back. He like puts himself out there and he'll like say, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, to which Jesus says, yes, you nailed it. I'm the big rock. You're the little rock. You're going to be like me. I'm, yes, way to go. And a few verses later, Jesus is talking about sacrificing his life. And Peter says, no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
Like, oh, there's a volatility with Peter that uh, he learned through failure. If you go to the last, the last day of Jesus' life, when he looks at Peter in the upper room and he says, you're going to deny me three times before the sun rises, man. We're going to look each other in the eye and you're going to look away and you're going to desert me. You're going to abandon me. And it came true. Jesus is on trial and uh, people see Peter right there. And they say, well, you were with that guy. He's like, no, I wasn't. No, you were with that guy. No, I wasn't. You were with that guy. And I think in, hidden in the text is like Peter swears at him. Get out of here. I wasn't. I don't know him. And Jesus looks him in the eyes. And I think shame runs through him. And Jesus is killed. And Peter doesn't know the end of the story yet. And he goes back to doing what he knew how to do. He knew how to fish. And he's like, I, I thought something was happening here. But I guess not. I failed Jesus. And he goes back to fishing. And then he sees Jesus not in the grave anymore, not dead anymore, sitting on the beach. And he doesn't even have the, uh, the discipline to like row the boat back. Peter just jumps out and swims, which maybe he's a good swimmer, or maybe the boat got back before he did, but he's working real hard to get back to Jesus. And I can, I can only imagine that first look in the eyes again, where Peter may not even be able to look Jesus in the eyes. Peter may have his head down. And Jesus calls his name three times. Do you love me? And there's this echo in the failure. And I'm calling your name. And I'm calling your name. And I'm calling your name. And I welcome you back to me. And I have more for your story than you would dare to hope. And Jesus picks Peter's head up. And then Peter becomes a monster for the church. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter goes on to lead the church in Jerusalem. And I think that moment of despair and failure and then being redeemed and reconciled changes everything. Judas also betrayed, right? Judas also abandoned. Judas betrayed Jesus and they arrest him and he's taken. And even when Judas comes up to Jesus in the garden, how does Jesus address him? He calls him friend. Jesus knows what's going on. And he still calls Judas friend. Like, do what you got to do, man. And Judas abandons. Judas deserts. Judas betrays. Now, who had a, who had a worse betrayal, Judas or Peter? Did they both? And they both abandoned. They both deserted. They both turned their back on Jesus. On Jesus. Yet Peter rises as a giant. And Judas kills himself. I don't think they're all that different. I don't think their failure is all that different. What happens in their failure makes all the difference. Both of them have failed both of them have messed up. And Jesus, Jesus meets Peter. And he, he speaks life back into him. And he welcomes him back. Judas never gives Jesus the chance to do that. 
Judas, so tight in control and in pride, chooses to end it. And so you've got John Mark and you've got Demas, both guys who have abandoned Peter, or Paul, I'm sorry. And then you've got Peter and you've got Judas, both guys who have abandoned Jesus. And then you've got you and me. Have you failed? I mean, I know I have. I had a rough night. I've had a rough morning. Like, I'm, I, I need to look at my own sinfulness in the mirror. Where are you when it comes to your own failure? Do you recognize it? Are you oblivious to it? Are you crushed by it? And I think what you need to know, what you need to know, is that Jesus has his arms open. That failure does not need to be the end of the story. That there is forgiveness and there is redemption and there is reconciliation. In the same way that Jesus offered it to Peter and Peter rose. In the same way that something happened and Paul forgave and was reconciled to John Mark. Where he calls his name and says, I want that guy next to me. You in your failure, me in my failure, if we recognize where we're at, we don't just dismiss it or push it off and say, it ain't that bad. But we take a humble view of ourselves and we look up to Jesus and see his arms reaching out to, to say, you don't need to produce anything. I love you. You don't have to get it right for me to love you. I love you. Do you know that? Do you know that? I don't want you to leave here this morning without hearing that you are loved dearly by Jesus where you are. In your failure or at the top of the mountain, wherever you're coming from. And if you've got failure that you need to deal with, then deal with it. But Don't feel like you have to deal with it in order for God to love you, in order for God to make something of you, in order for him to look at you. We look away, and he's looking straight at us. And I think if you could look in the eyes of Jesus, you wouldn't see anger and dismissal. You would see affection, and you would see welcome. Know that Jesus loves you. There's one more name at the end. Paul says, Archippus. Like if you see Archippus, he's not with, he's not with Paul. He's with uh, the Colossians. Paul says, if you see this guy, give him this message. Do what God gave you. Finish what God started in you. Fulfill the ministry that God has for you. He's saying, John Mark failed but is back. Demas is on a trajectory where he's walking away. Archippus, I don't know what's going on with Archippus. But Paul says, I want you to look the guy in the eyes and I want you to finish it. Keep running. Don't give up. Don't, don't, don't give up. Maybe that's the word that you need to hear this morning. 
I mean, maybe, maybe in your failure, what you need to hear is the love of God. What you need to hear is the invitation of Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're in a different place where what you need to hear is not, not just the invitation of Jesus, but the challenge. Is that the invitation doesn't go away. The invitation to relationship is there. But out of relationship comes responsibility. And maybe what you need to hear is finish it. Don't quit. Don't give up. You keep at it. You be faithful to the ministry that God has given you. If God planted something in you, keep at it. If you're in either one of those positions today, I want to invite you afterward to just find somebody to talk to. There's people in the back corner. If you want to grab me, if you want to say, I am wrestling with failure or I'm teetering on giving up, you've got to talk about it. Not to beat you up. I say it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be that way. If you know Jesus, if you know his love for you and you fail, it's good to recognize it. But it doesn't strip out that relationship. It, he, you cannot be pulled out of that relationship. Romans 8 says, for those of us in Christ, there is no condemnation. You can't, you can't hear it. You can't fail far enough where Jesus gives up on you. It doesn't happen. And you don't have to walk around with shame. You don't have to walk around in, in that condemnation, condemnation. You do have to let go. You do have to let go of the past. Where Paul has spent a lot of Colossians saying, we died to that life, remember? And we've been, we've been raised to new life in Christ. It requires a letting go and a grabbing on. But shame is not part of that. Paul gets to the end of the, uh, of the book of Colossians, of the letter here. And he says in the very last verse, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. That's powerful to imagine. Most of Paul's letters likely are written by a scribe. Paul's sitting with a guy. He's dictating. Somebody's writing it down. But you can almost see Paul taking the pen at that moment and saying, I need to write this last bit. And he's got... Uh, chains on his wrists, and the chains are kind of dragging across uh, the paper, the scroll as he writes. So that it's that he's in chains, that he says, remember my chains, that that's the next thing he says. I think it's because they're, they're right there as he signs his name to the letter. I'm with you. I'm in chains. My heart is for you. I want you to grow. Remember where I'm at. Or you pray for me where I'm at. And then he says, grace be with you. Paul ends his letter with grace. And we just talked about John Mark. We just talked about Demas. We just talked about Peter. We just talked about Judas. And like the role of grace in their life, if they, if they saw it, if they accepted it, if they welcomed it, or if they kind of pushed it off and said, I don't need that, or I can't, I can't have that. Paul ends with grace. And he says, if I have a closing statement, I hope that you know grace. I hope that you understand grace. I hope that you live in grace. I hope you give grace. I hope you breathe it in. 
For Paul, grace was everything. He starts his letter. If you look back to the beginning of Colossians, he starts with grace. He greets them with grace, and he finishes with grace. And grace is powerful. Grace is powerful. Our God, our God is a God of grace and a God of justice at the same time. And when we fail, when we sin, when we miss the mark, we're, we're deserting in a way. And he never stops pursuing. He never stops pursuing. Grace continues to call us home. Wherever you're at this morning, as Paul closes his letter, I hope that you hear grace. I hope that you hear that failure doesn't have to be the end of the story. I hope you hear a challenge to not quit, to keep at it, because God can do more God can do more with your little yes than you could ever dare to believe. Your faithfulness is a big, big deal. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the work, the transformation that you did in Paul's life. That you took a man um, who mocked and persecuted and was responsible for killing Christians. You changed his heart so that he could be a force for you. And over and over and over, we see stories of grace that meets us in failure. Whether it's Peter's failure or John Mark's failure, you remind us over and over that failure doesn't have to be the end. Help us to recognize that. Would you speak that into our hearts? Not that we would hide from our failure, but that we would see it and see you reaching through it. Help us to be faithful. Help us to never quit. Help us to run with each other, to recognize our crew, and to be so thankful for this community that you've put us in. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Amen.